Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we celebrate the triumphs of people who have overcome their own life's challenges and made our world better. People who have taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host. Thank you for joining me. Jerry, welcome to the Lemonade Stand. Super, super excited to talk to you today and get to know all about you. So start out by telling me three things about yourself. So I am first and foremost a wife. I am a cat mom and I am a stroke survivor. Wow. Stroke survivor. Mm -hmm. I think that probably has something to do with your lemon to lemonade story that you're going to tell me about. Absolutely. It does. That is my all encompassing life um, has been lemons to lemonade at this time. So. Okay. And you're so young. And so people think uh, stroke is probably for people that are older. At least I think that I think to suffer a stroke. Mm -hmm. So you got to tell me what happened. Well, I was 30 years old at the time. I'm currently 32. So it's been about, um, I just turned 30. So it's been almost two years exactly. I was an avid social worker and volunteer. So I worked in crisis therapy a lot with abused children. So I had 32 children that were legally mine, which is a lot of children, as you can imagine. Um, but that's everything. That's everything from registering them for kindergarten to taking them to doctor's appointments, to ensuring that they have clothes and food in their foster homes. That's everything in between. So as you can imagine, that's incredibly rewarding, but the the toll that it can take on your physical, mental, and emotional health because you're drained, that's pretty high. I absolutely love helping people to be successful. And I really am just a humanist at nature. It, it's kind of funny because I wouldn't necessarily identify myself as a people person, but I do identify myself as believing that all people deserve the right to become the best version of themselves. So whatever that may be. And I, I think I've just always felt like people who had experienced disabilities and also people who were younger, such as children, were really oppressed in a lot of different ways. So I always felt a calling to, to help those people in need. Wow. Okay. So you decided to do this career and 32 kids in foster care. Wow. You know, in doing that job, there are no set hours, right? Yeah. Because mental health doesn't have a nine to five. It doesn't clock in a nine and clock out of five. It is ongoing. And so as much as I love the job, love my babies that I'm supporting, love the families that I'm helping to strengthen, I'm exhausted and I, I'm working, I'm a workaholic by nature as well. I think a lot of people can relate to that, but I found myself having more and more chronic headaches and I realized I was stressed because who isn't stressed, right? Everybody has stress. I'm not special <laughs> in that way for sure. And so having these constant headaches and just debilitating headaches where the only thing that would help was to lock myself in a dark room to try to get some, some sleep and try to close my eyes. Um, it was just taking over my life truly. And 
this was every day. And it was so bad that my preventative nature would be to take headache medicine in the morning, even when I didn't have that headache, just to prevent it from happening for the rest of the day, which that should have been a sign, right? <laughs> like, that's not normal. But I often feel that as women, especially, and that's trying not to be sexist, but a majority of women are caregivers. And we do put ourselves on the back burner a lot to take care of other people. And although that is a fantastic trait to have, it comes at a cost sometimes. And unfortunately, my cost was having a massive ischemic stroke at the age of 30. And it nearly killed me taking care of everyone else but myself. Wow. And how did you know you had a stroke? What happened? So I was sitting on my couch. I had actually left work early that day, which was really uncommon for me. So my, my coworkers and boss knew that something was wrong. And I just felt a headache all day and nausea all day. And I said, guys, I got to go. I have to go home and get some rest. So I took a long bath and I took a nap and my head felt all better. And that night around 10 p.m., my husband and I came home and we were sitting on the couch together. I, of course, was working on my laptop again because I missed some work during the day and wanted to get caught up. I, as I was typing, I got a little bit of vertigo. So it felt like the room was kind of spinning. And then my vision became really, really blurry. And then I heard a pop in the back of my head, which kind of fizzled out like the sound of a firework once it burst in the air, that fizzling sound. And I knew at that point, something was not right at all. And I tried to move. And I tried to tell my husband that something was wrong, but I couldn't speak or move at all. So after about 10 long seconds, I realized that I needed help. And I was just screaming internally to try to be able to move and speak. And I was finally able to move. And I threw my laptop off of my lap. And my husband, that obviously got his attention because he was like, why the heck is she throwing a laptop across the room? And I think he, when he looked at me, the look on my face, he could just tell that something was very, very wrong at that point in time. And he tried to talk to me and I tried to tell him that something wasn't right, but all my words were jumbled up and I wasn't making any sense. But I was finally able to say hospital, and he knew that something was incredibly wrong, and we went to the ER at that moment. So I got to the ER. My husband dropped me off at the front door so that way he could go park. I walked in, and they asked me to enter in my social security number. And I looked at the keypad and I realized at that moment, this is really not good because not only did I not know my social security number that I've known for, I don't know, 15 years, but I also did not know what numbers were anymore. So when I looked in the keypad, it was like a foreign language. And the nurse could tell that I was just in hysterics at that point because that was a really mind-blowing moment, something that you know your entire life is now foreign to you. 
so they took me back and I went into a CT scan and they diagnosed me with having a massive stroke. And at that point, it was super, super severe, especially for someone my age. They said, we're going to have to get you into emergency brain surgery. And I was just so naive because as you preferenced earlier, stroke only happens to old people. I'm only 30 years old, right? Like I'm not having a stroke. And even if I am, my mindset was, okay, we can fix this, right? It'll be fine. We can figure it out. I said, my husband can just pull the car around and he can just take me to the next hospital. And I was like, it's going to be fine. We'll just figure this out. And they said, no, ma'am, you know, you've had IVs, you had medication, we're going to have to take an ambulance. And I said, that's really unnecessary. It's fine. He could just hate me. We'll, we'll figure it out. And she looked at me and this was my point of realization. She looked at me and said, you may die. And sitting in that moment, being 30 years old, like I had been 30 for a week. And I guarantee you that was not on my bucket list, right? I I never imagined having a stroke at the age of 30. And hearing those words and being so unsure and not being able to speak properly and not being able to read or write, I just felt like my life was collapsing really, really quickly. And so obviously I agreed to go in the ambulance. I am stubborn by nature, but I let that one go. She can have that one. And so I was transferred to my next hospital to go through my first of five brain surgeries. Yeah, it was pretty unbelievable, especially thinking back about it now. I believe that at the time it was overwhelming, but you're just in survival mode. You don't really realize how intense or severe or bad or traumatizing things are. You're just trying to live. But now looking back at it, I just, I can't believe that we did it. I can't believe that we made it through. And I can't believe, you know, they told my husband, because obviously I, I finally surmised to going in the ambulance and they told my husband who was left behind to drive himself to the next hospital he asked you know what what is the prognosis of this like we just got married we've been married a year and I just want to know what's going to happen right now and she said you know she could die because of how severe it is and she said you know if she does make it it's probably going to be more of a vegetative state he said he held it together the entire time, like a rock star. But he said when he got to his car alone, he just lost it because he knew that our lives were about to be drastically changed. Um, so, yeah, that that was a real turning point for us in our marriage, but also in our health and just being so unsure of the future. Right. Were they determining that those headaches you were experiencing before had anything to do with it too? Yeah. So I actually um, had a carotid artery dissection, which the carotid artery, as I'm sure you know, is the main artery to get blood to the brain. And my carotid was completely occluded. 
which means that no blood is getting to my brain. And they identified that I had um, multiple clots in my brain as well. And so they knew that, you know, something had happened with my neck, with my head, and to cause this dissection. Granted, this dissection is probably as thick as like a pencil lead. So super, super small. But on the grand scheme of neuroanatomy, that's rather large. And so I, I realized at that point in time, I had my carotid artery dissection from popping my neck, sitting at my desk to relieve that stress and pressure from work and from all the activities that I was doing. So stress nearly killed me because I was not managing it well enough and I was not taking time to make sure that I was healthy first. So what is the lemonade? What is the good that has come from this? Or what are you doing now because of being able to survive this? So when I was in my ICU bed, because I actually lived in the ICU for a little while, I decided, despite hearing that I may never speak and move and read and write again, that I, that was just not going to be my situation. And we're going back to the stubborn part, right? We're going back to the, to the this cannot be the rest of my life. I, I'm only 30. I still have so much life to live, so much that I want to do. And for me, it was a part of just processing of like, if you want this bad enough, you got to figure this out. And I could only move my eyes because um, I lost all functionality after my first surgery. And you have a lot of time to think when you're trapped inside of your own body. And so as I was lying in my ICU bed, I decided that I, I was going to figure this out and I was going to talk again. And so every day internally, I just really, really worked to be able to self-motivate myself to practice positive affirmations, to practice um, a lot of positive self-confidence and self-efficacy to try to get something back. And then I just saw little glimpses day by day that started to remind me that I'm still here. Um, I remember when I could first move my pinky again, that was a big day. And when I learned how to swallow again, that was a big day too. It, it just made you appreciate the smaller things in life that I'd taken for granted so many times. And I think we all have a part of that um, because we don't realize how much we have until it's gone. And then you just appreciate it more than you ever thought you would. So obviously I got out of living the, in the ICU and then I got out of the nearest step down unit. And then I was moved home and I still couldn't really do anything. My husband had to bathe me, had to take me to the bathroom, feed me, et cetera. But I started in speech occupational and physical therapy at that time. In speech therapy, I realized in talking to my speech therapist that 80% of strokes are preventable. And for me, that number was just outrageous because one out of four people have a stroke and someone has a stroke every 40 seconds in the United States, but 80% are preventable. 
And it just got me thinking, why, why are there not services out there to help with preventative nature of all diseases, not just stroke? And so that's kind of where the Lemonade Project was born. Because I said, you know, if I'm going to learn how to speak again, I want it to be purposeful. And I want to be able to speak with intention. And I can't speak perfectly still. I, I still sometimes sound drunk when I'm speaking. I, at work, I have to remind my coworkers and stuff. I've not been drinking today. <laughs> I just had a stroke. I, I find that my life is so much more fulfilling now because the Lemonade Project, uh, much like you know, is all about taking life's stressful lemons and making lemonade. So it's all about self-care, it's all about stress reduction, it's all about developing coping skills to help to manage your life and, and the trials and lemons that are thrown at you in life. And I just, I help people all over the world. And I think there are 35 countries now that I'm working with to, to really navigate what that looks like for them, because we all different deal with different difficulties and trials, depending upon where we live. Oh my goodness. So you invented the lemonade project while you were recovering from a stroke. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, I sometimes I do think I'm a little bit crazy, but (laughs) we all have to have goals. Right. And so that's amazing. I think sometimes you have to push yourself a little bit beyond what you think you can do just to prove yourself wrong. And for me, you know, I obviously am Mrs. Ohio right now and I'm competing in Mrs. International in July, which is only 21 days away, which is unbelievable. But for me, utilizing that platform for stroke prevention and also for self-care awareness is huge. And that that is just another goal for me, because I feel like the more I keep pushing myself in a healthy and manageable way, the more I'm realizing what I'm capable of. And it just has me so grateful for what something that was once terrible, absolutely awful, devastating. And it is just amazing in a lot of different ways. That is amazing. You are so inspiring. I just can't, I'm just sitting here like, I can't, can't believe this story. This is incredible. And I want to know more about this Lemonade Project. Is this a foundation you started? Is it a job for you? Or what exactly? Is it a hobby? Like, what is yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. So I actually work full time at the hospital that saved my life. And I work as a hospital liaison now. So I actually work with, work with stroke patients full time. But um, the Lemonade Project is a 501c3 organization. So this organization is funded mostly through grants. And then all money that comes into the organization, I'm not taking a pay at all. All the money that comes in goes directly out into community service, um, such as I brought like yoga yoga classes and meditation classes into homeless shelters and into domestic violence shelters, created a mindfulness trail and walk in our local parks um, to kind of ground people and allow them to breathe a little bit and disconnect from the world around them. And then a lot of awareness um, throughout 
education throughout the uh, the world. It's I have the most incredible support system that have been there with me from Jerry 1.0, which is pre-stroke, obviously, to Jerry 2.0, which is post-stroke. And so they see the entire continuum. And so they really help to not only set up and navigate and ask for funding and everything else, but they really are kind of like the, the board of this nonprofit organization. And they're very hands-on, which is amazing. So I always share two things. And one is when you're facing a situation, there are two ways to go about it. So I always heard that you either get bitter or you get better. And those are your two options. And for me, I was like, well, those aren't really two options. I only really have one option there. So I'm going to take that. But while I was lying on the operating table at my first brain surgery, because we're, we're obviously awake during all of our surgeries, they, the neurologist looked down at me and I couldn't speak at all. I could only cry. That's all I could do because my body wouldn't move at all. And he looked at me and he said, I just want to remind you that you're planted, not buried. He said, you know, I know that it may feel at this moment, like, like this is overwhelming and this is the end, and this is, and it may be so dark right now, and you just don't know where you're going to go from here or how you're going to get out. And he said, but just remember, this is, this is just planting. And for me, that brought me a lot of comfort. And so I like to tell people that because it's really hard when you're in the middle of any situation to see a light way out. And so just remember that you're planted. That is so perfectly said. And what an inspired doctor to be able to tell you that when you can't speak and he knows For that's sure. exactly what's running through your mind right then. Yeah. And that he can encourage you that way without even knowing that that's what you're thinking. So that's amazing because yeah. that's great advice and we can all use that. We need to realize that we are just being planted. We have better things and we're growing from this and we're going to come out of this with these great roots and we're going to be able to grow and flourish and be able to help other people. We're not buried. We're not gone yet. So I right. love that. I think it's difficult to remember, but if you keep reminding yourself from time to time and taking a few deep breaths and taking one day at a time, one second at a time, because days can seem like a really long time when you're feeling buried. Um, it's, it's exactly, all about, that's exactly <laughs> what I say. I say that all the time. Everybody's like one day at a time. I'm like one minute at a time, one hour yeah, at a time. A day yeah. is sometimes too much. So I love that you said that. That's exactly it. Days too long. Just take it a few minutes at a time. Yeah. Well, and I didn't even realize how long a day was until I couldn't do anything. And then minutes felt like hours and seconds felt like minutes. And it was just a long long, long time, but it's been one of the best, worst things that's ever happened to me. Yep. So, yep. That's amazing. When you arrive at that place that you can say that about your challenge, that it's the best, mm -hmm. worst thing. That's a good place to be at. And I love that. Yeah. I love talking to people that can say that because that's the key, you know, to, to recognize yeah. it as the best, worst place and be able to share with other people and inspire them as well. And you've got an amazing story 
of being resilient and getting through. And I love how now your job is to encourage other people. You get to do that all the time yeah. and competing for, competing for yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Mrs. International. That's amazing. Great accomplishment. Yeah. Who would have thought two years ago when you couldn't move that you would be I up know. on a stage doing this. It's amazing. It's a miracle. When I hear all the time, like, we hope you win. I'm like, I don't think you want understand that I've already won. Like the fact that I'm able to speak, or the fact that I'm able to like, even stand on the stage just by and it nevertheless, in six inch heels, like I could walk two years ago. Like, if, if I'm able to walk across the stage, I'm gonna feel like I won the whole thing. And no one can tell me any different. <laughs> like you could place a crown 11 times on everyone else's head. And I will still feel like I am the winner of yeah. this because we all have our challenges. We all have our things. And so when you're able to feel comfortable in your skin, despite your disabilities and despite your trials, then there's nothing that no titles that can trump that. I don't think. Oh. So perfectly said. I love that. I just feel like I keep saying that over and over. <laughs> Everything you say, I'm like, yes, yes, that's it. That's so well said. Amen. Amen. You're so funny. It's a you lot easier said than done. It, it, well, when you're on the other side of it, it's a lot easier said than done. That's it. We can talk about yeah. it now. It's been two years. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't something you could have said two years ago. You were struggling. Not you at were all. dying. So Not yeah. At all. And people have their, their times of their lemons and that's, there's nothing to take lightly with that at all. Like it's hard, right. it's bad, but it's to refine you. It's to help you grow. And so when right. you can look back on that and appreciate it, learn from it and grow from it, then it's all for the best. So yeah. I love that you can well, see Well, I that. definitely have my times, right? I had my frustrating times. I had times where I couldn't eat or swallow and I would be so frustrated and so hangry. And I would throw things across the room because I couldn't communicate. And it was awful at times. So I always had to remind people, do not look at me now and be deflated because this took two years of unending work. And so I, I'm so afraid when I talk to stroke patients, especially that they're frustrated and they're sad that they're not where I am, but we all have to remember we're on separate journeys and there's no time for grieving. There's no set timeline for recovery. Depends where your stroke was, where it happened in your brain, how much of a stroke it was, what kind of stroke it was. And you can relate to that to anything, right? Just because someone experiences a divorce doesn't mean that's the same divorce that someone else experiences. So all Absolutely. the time I have to remind people, I want to inspire you, but I also want you to be realistic that we are not the same people and you may develop faster than I did, or it may be slower than I did, but please don't give up. That's the key. Yep. No giving up. No giving up, no matter what you're going through. Yeah. Got to hold on for one more minute, yeah. one more hour, and one more day. Yeah. That's it. One second at a time. One second at a time. That feels like days for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that you can encourage that too, because I think we do. We compare ourselves to others and go, well, mm -hmm. why can't I be where they're at? Especially when right. we're at our worst. It's right. really, we dig ourselves deeper, actually, when we do mm -hmm. that. It makes it a lot harder.
So I'm yeah. glad you share that with people and encourage them that way as well. They need that reminder. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. I can't, I'm, I'm so much better after hearing your story. I love this. This has been You're so sweet. I so appreciate great. that so, so much. I do. You're still here? Well, then click on the next episode to hear more of Heidi's Lemonade Stand. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thanks! Is that how you say it? Yes, Jerry? it is. Okay. Yep, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Is it spelled J-E-R-I? It is. Is it short yep. for anything or Jerry? No. So my dad's name is actually Jerry as well. And he's French. So his first born custom to name the daughter after the father. So luckily his name wasn't like Frank or something. Oh <laughs> my goodness. I had no idea. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So okay. I got lucky with the yeah. name Jerry. It could have been much, much worse. So I'm just <laughs> grateful. I got away with that one pretty easily. So. Okay. That's awesome. It's a pretty name, but yeah. I just, yeah, hadn't heard it for a girl very often. So Jerry, that's cute. Yeah.